Section 7 of From a Swedish Homestead by Selma Lagerlöf. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Lars Rolander. Section 7. The Story of a Country House. Part 7. In the little boudoir her ladyship was talking to Miss Stava. It sounded so pitiful to hear her asking the housekeeper to persuade her son to remain a few days longer. Miss Dava tried to appear hard and severe. Of course I can ask him, she said, but your ladyship knows that no one can make him stay longer than he wants. We have money enough, you know. There is not the slightest necessity for him to go. Can you not tell him that, said your ladyship. At the same moment Ingrid came in. The door opened noiselessly. She glided through the room with light, airy steps. Her eyes were radiant as if she had beheld something beautiful afar off. When her ladyship saw her, she frowned a little. She also felt an inclination to be cruel, to give pain. Ingrid, she said, come here. I must speak with you about your future. The young girl had fetched her guitar and was about to leave the room. She turned round to her ladyship my future she said putting her hand to her forehead my future is already decided you know she continued with the smile of a martyr and without saying any more she left the room her ladyship and stava looked in surprise at each other they began to discuss where they should send the young girl but when miss stava came down to her room she found ingrid sitting there singing some little songs and playing the guitar and Hede sat opposite her, listening, his face all sunshine. Ever since Ingrid had recognized the student in the poor crazy fellow, she had no other thought but that of trying to cure him. But this was a difficult task, and she had no idea whatever as to how she should set about it. To begin with, she only thought of how she could persuade him to remain at Munkhyttan, and this was easy enough only for the sake of hearing her play the violin or the guitar a little every day he would now sit patiently from morning till evening in miss stava's room waiting for her she thought it would be a great thing if she could get him to go into the other rooms but that she could not she tried keeping in her room and said she would not play any more for him if he did not come to her but after she had remained there two days he began to pack up his pack to go away and then she was obliged to give in he showed great preference for her and distinctly showed that he liked her better than others but she did not make him less frightened she begged him to leave off his sheepskin coat and wear an ordinary coat he consented at once but the next day he had it on again then she hid it from him but he then appeared in the man-servant's skin-coat, so then they would rather let him keep his own. He was still as frightened as ever, and took great care no one came too near him. Even Ingrid was not allowed to sit quite close to him. One day she said to him that now he must promise her something. He must give over curtsying to the cat. She would not ask him to do anything so difficult as give up curtsying to horses and dogs but surely he could not be afraid of a little cat yes he said the cat was a goat it can't be a goat she said it has no horns you know he was pleased to hear that 
It seemed as if at last he had found something by which he could distinguish a goat from other animals. The next day he met Miss Stava's cat. That goat has no horns, he said, and laughed quite proudly. He went past it and sat down on the sofa to listen to Ingrid playing. But after he had sat a little while, he grew restless and he rose, went up to the cat and curtsied. Ingrid was in despair. She took him by his arm and shook him. He ran straight out from the room and did not appear until the next day. Child, child, said her ladyship, you do exactly as I did. You try the same as I did. It will end by your frightening him so that he dare not see you any more. It is better to leave him in peace. We are satisfied with things as they are if he will only remain at home. There was nothing else for Ingrid to do but wring her hands in sorrow that such a fine, lovable fellow should be concealed in this crazy man. Ingrid thought again and again, had she really only come here to play her grandfather's tunes to him? Should they go on like that all through life? Would it never be otherwise? She also told him many stories, and in the midst of a story his face would lighten up, and he would say something wonderfully subtle and beautiful. A sane person would never have thought of anything like it and no more was needed to make her courage rise and then she began again with these endless experiments it was late one afternoon and the moon was just about to rise white snow lay on the ground and bright gray ice covered the lake the trees were blackish brown and the sky was a flaming red after the sunset ingrid was on her way to the lake to skate she went along a narrow path where the snow was quite trodden down. Gunnar Hede went behind her. There was something cowed in his bearing that made one think of a dog following its master. Ingrid looked tired. There was no brightness in her eyes, and her complexion was grey. As she walked along, she wondered whether the day, which was now so nearly over, was content with itself. If it were from joy, it had lighted the great flaming red sunset far away in the west. She knew she could light no bonfire over this day, nor over any other day. In the whole month that had passed since she recognized Gunnar Hede, she had gained nothing. And today a great fear had come upon her. It seemed to her as if she might perhaps lose her love over all this. She was nearly forgetting the student, only for thinking of the poor fellow. All that was bright and beautiful and youthful vanished from her love. Nothing was left but dull, heavy, earnest. She was quite in despair as she walked towards the lake. She felt she did not know what ought to be done, felt that she must give it all up. Oh, God, to have him walking behind her, apparently strong and whole and yet so helplessly incurable sick they had reached the lake and she was putting on her skates she also wanted him to skate and helped him to put on his skates but he fell as soon as he got on to the ice he scrambled to the bank and sat down on a stone and she skated away from him just opposite the stone upon which gunnar hede was sitting was an islet overgrown with birches and poplars 
and behind it the radiant evening sky which was still flaming red and the fine light leafless tops of the trees stood against the glorious sky with such beauty that it was impossible not to notice it is it not a fact that one always recognizes a place by a single feature one does not exactly know how even the most familiar spot looks from all sides and munkhyttan one always knew by the little islet if one had not seen the place for many years one would know it again by this islet where the dark tree-tops were lifted towards the sunset hede sat quite still and looked at the islet and at the branches of the trees and at the gray eyes which surrounded it this was the view he knew best of all there was nothing on the whole estate he knew so well for it was always this islet that attracted the eye and soon he was sitting looking at the islet without thinking about it just as one does with things one knows so well he sat for a long time gazing nothing disturbed him not a human being not a gust of wind no strange object he could not see ingrid she had skated far away on the ice her rest and peace fell upon gunnar hede such as one only feels in home surroundings security and peace came to him from the little islet it quieted the everlasting unrest that tormented him hede always imagined he was amongst enemies and always thought of defending himself for many years he had not felt that peace which made it possible for him to forget himself but now it came upon him whilst gunnar hede was sitting thus and not thinking of anything he happened mechanically to make a movement as one may do when one finds oneself in accustomed circumstances as he sat there with the shining ice before him and with skates on his feet he got up and skated on to the lake and he thought as little of what he was doing as one thinks of how one is holding a fork or spoon when eating he glided over the ice it was glorious skating he was a long way off the shore before he realized what he was doing splendid ice he thought i wonder why i did not come down earlier in the day it is a good thing i was more here yesterday he said i will really not waste a single day during the rest of my vacation no doubt it was because gunnar hede happened to do something he was in the habit of doing before he was ill that his old self awakened within him thoughts and associations connected with his former life began to force themselves upon his consciousness and at the same time all the thoughts connected with his illness sank into oblivion it had been his habit when skating to take a wide turn on the lake in order to see beyond a certain point he did so now without thinking but when he had turned the point he knew he had skated there to see if there was a light in his mother's window she thinks it is time i was coming home but she must wait a little the ice is too good but it was mostly vague sensations of pleasure over the exercise and the beautiful evening that were awakened within him a moonlight evening like this was just the time for skating he was so fond of this peaceful transition from day to night it was still light 
but the stillness of night was already there, the best both of day and of night. There was another skater on the ice. It was a young girl. He was not sure if he knew her, but he skated towards her to find out. No, it was no one he knew, but he could not help making a remark when he passed her about the splendid ice. The stranger was probably a young girl from the town. She was evidently not accustomed to be addressed in this unceremonious manner. She looked quite frightened when he spoke to her. He certainly was queerly dressed. He was dressed quite like a peasant. Well, he did not want to frighten her away. He turned off and skated further up the lake. The ice was big enough for them both. But Ingrid had nearly screamed with astonishment. He had come towards her, skating elegantly, with his arms crossed, the brim of his hat turned up, and his hair thrown back, so that it did not fall over his ears. He had spoken with the voice of a gentleman, almost without the slightest dollar accent. She did not stop to think about it. She skated quickly towards the shore. She came breathless into the kitchen. She did not know how to say it shortly and quickly enough. Miss Stava, the young master has come home. The kitchen was empty. Neither the housekeeper nor the servants were there. Nor was there anybody in the housekeeper's room. Ingrid rushed through the whole house, went into rooms where no one ever went. The whole time she cried out, Miss Stava, Miss Stava, the young master has come home. She was quite beside herself and went on calling out, even when she stood on the landing upstairs surrounded by the servants, Miss Stava and her ladyship herself. She said it over and over again. She was too much excited to stop. They all understood what she meant. They stood there quite as much overcome as she was. Ingrid turned restlessly from the one to the other. She ought to give explanations and orders, but about what? That she could so lose her presence of mind. She looked wildly questioning at her ladyship. What was it I wanted? The old lady gave some orders in a low, trembling voice. She almost whispered, Light the candles and make a fire in the young master's room. Lay out the young master's clothes. It was neither the place nor the time for Miss Dava to be important, but there was all the same a certain superior ring in her voice as she answered. There is always a fire in the young master's room. The young master's clothes are always in readiness for him. Ingrid had better go up to her room, said her ladyship. The young girl did just the opposite. She went into the drawing-room, placed herself at the window, sobbed and shook, but did not herself know that she was not still. She impatiently dried the tears from her eyes, so that she could see over the snow-field in front of the house. If only she did not cry, there was nothing she could miss seeing in the clear moonlight. At last he came. There he is, there he is, she cried to her ladyship. He walks quickly, he runs. Do come and see. Her ladyship sat quite still before the fire. She did not move. She strained her ears to hear just as much as the other strained her eyes to see. She asked Ingrid to be quiet so that she could hear how he walked. Ah, yes, she would be quiet. Her ladyship should hear how he walked. 
She grasped the window sill as if that could help her. You shall be quiet, she whispered, so that her ladyship can hear how he walks. Her ladyship sat bending forward, listening with all her soul. Did she already hear his steps in the courtyard? She probably thought he would go towards the kitchen. Did she hear that it was the front steps that creaked? Did she hear that it was the door to the front hall that opened? Did she hear how quickly he came up the stairs, two or three steps at a time? Had his mother heard that? It was not the dragging step of a peasant, as it had been when he left the house. It was almost more than they could bear to hear him coming towards the door of the drawing-room. Had he come in then, they would no doubt both have screamed, but he turned down the corridor to his own rooms. Her ladyship fell back in her chair, and her eyes closed. Ingrid thought her ladyship would have liked to die at that moment. Without opening her eyes, she put out her hand. Ingrid went softly up and took it. The old lady drew her towards her. Mignon, Mignon, she said. That was the right name after all. But, she continued, we must not cry. We must not speak about it. Take a stool and come and sit down by the fire. We must be calm, my little friend. Let us speak about something else. We must be perfectly calm when he comes in. Half an hour afterwards, Hede came in. The tea was on the table, and the chandelier was lighted. He had dressed. Every trace of the peasant had disappeared. Ingrid and her ladyship pressed each other's hands. They had been sitting trying to imagine how he would look when he came in. It was impossible to say what he might say or do, said her ladyship. One never had known what he might do. But in any case, they would be quite calm. A feeling of great happiness had come over her, and that had quieted her. She was resting free from all sorrow in the arms of angels carrying her upwards, upwards. But when Hede came in, there was no sign of confusion about him. I have only come to tell you, he said, that I have got such a headache that I shall have to go to bed at once. I felt it already when I was on the ice. Her ladyship made no reply. Everything was so simple. She had never thought it would be like that. It took her a few moments to realize that he did not know anything about his illness, that he was living somewhere in the past. But perhaps I can first drink a cup of tea, he said, looking a little surprised at their silence. Her ladyship went to the tea tray. He looked at her. Have you been crying, mother? You are so quiet. Oh, we have been sitting talking about a sad story, I and my young friend here, said her ladyship, pointing to Ingrid. I beg your pardon, he said. I did not see you had visitors. The young girl came forward towards the light, beautiful as one would be who knew that the gates of heaven the next moment would open before her. He bowed a little stiffly. He evidently did not know who she was. Her ladyship introduced them to each other. He looked curiously at Ingrid. I think I saw Miss Barry on the ice, he said. 
He knew nothing about her, had never spoken to her before. End of section 7 Read by Lars Rolander